This episode of Stock Doc is sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, a leading Australian corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Focused on your vision, Barclay Pierce specialises in making it a successful reality. The interviews and discussions in this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decision. Hi everyone, welcome to this edition of Stock Doc. I'm your host, Dr. Nigel Finch. Today on the program, I'm speaking with Linton Burns. He's Managing Director at Verbrek, who are listed under the ticket code VBC. Now, Verbrek is, uh, well, a very diversified company, operates in asset management and also in training. On the training side, uh, Verbrek delivers these training and assurance solutions to really develop high-performing work forces. The numbers are pretty staggering. It's it's run around 200,000 courses over the last decade and trained more than 150,000 Australians in the workplace. Linton, thanks very much for joining me on the program again. Thanks, Nigel. Good afternoon. Well, we spoke in October last year um, and got a, a really good update on your company, but a lot's happened um, recently. So maybe just to start off, just a bit of a quick refresher. Um, can you give our listeners just a very quick snapshot of the size and scale of Verbrek? Just things like maybe the headcount, um, last year's full revenue, market cap, number of customers, something like that. Yeah, certainly, Nigel. Uh, we've got about 550 um, team members in the business. Market cap's around 45 million. Uh, revenue for FY20 for memory was 117 million. Uh, for the half year just gone, 31 December, uh, revenue was 48 million. Um, yeah, just to recap even further back from that, uh, Verbrek came from the Heritage Logicam. So we rebranded Logicams to Verbrek in November last year, which is a culmination of the whole uh, reverse takeover and merger of um, OSD with Logicams, which um, closed in June 2019, so 20, 21 months ago. Since then, we've st- taken a lot of costs out of the business. We've merged a lot of the business units, changed out some management, changed out the board. Um, and I guess, yeah, as a result of that, we thought, well, it's a completely new uh, company now, um, completely different what Logicams was a couple of years ago. So we thought to rebrand a Verbrek makes a lot of sense. For those who don't know your company, can you tell us briefly about some of the target markets and also the products and services that you're providing? Yeah, certainly. Um, so the, the company we are, we're actually an engineering and operations service provider. So you mentioned asset management and, and training before. Um, so predominantly at this stage, we are an engineering design house, particularly around controls and automation, uh, electrical and instrumentation, um, pipelines, and we also do have a multidisciplinary team. Um, so we've got an engineering arm, but also an operations um, side of the business after the assets have been built, how they operated, maintained and training the operators. Yeah, so the markets we play in um, split roughly a third, a third, a third in terms of revenue between mining, oil and gas and infrastructure. So as you'd expect um, with mining, um, and, and in all those markets, we generally engage with tier one companies. So blue chip companies, mining, 
BHP, Rio Tinto, Tinto Fortescue Metals, um, Oil and Gas, Santos, Oil Search, Origin, Arrow Energy, uh, infrastructure, it's mainly water, so mainly water utility companies like WA Water and Urban Utilities um, in Queensland. So, uh, and the geographical footprint, New Zealand, uh, office in the oil and gas province in the Taranaki, um, head office in Brisbane, um, probably our largest office, smaller office in Melbourne, reasonable size office in Adelaide and a growing office in WA servicing the um, the mining industry in the main, and, and then finally a small office in Darwin. We also do some work in PNG, but execute that out of our Brisbane office in the main. And across the top of that, you've got your training businesses as well, right? Yeah, exactly. So we've got a training business. So the way we look at our training business is that yeah, once assets have been built, um, people need to operate those assets. So our training business until... Um, very recently has been really focused on the assets that we design and build. So that's electrical instrumentation mm -hmm. so and controls and automation. So switch gear, hazardous area, um, operating in hazardous area environments and high voltage environments. So it's generally, well, the way we look at it is we design and build an asset and then it's really training the operators to use the asset. Um, mm -hmm. So it is complementary in that regard. So yeah, that business is called Competency Training and it's a registered training organisation. So it's registered with ASQA, who's the government regulating body. Well, I want to talk about your recent acquisitions. But before that, let's try and understand some of the macroeconomic factors that impact your sector. So um, let me fire off a couple of questions with you. First of all, across your different business lines, to what extent do you think government funding is holding aside JobKeeper, but is there government funding impact your business? Yeah, predominantly in the infrastructure side of the business. As I said, we've got some uh, large projects ongoing with the utility companies, which are government-owned organisations, um, WA Water and Urban Utilities. So, and I think, you know, you mentioned JobKeeper, but the government's obviously really keen to keep the economy um, well, growing and pumping money into it to, to keep it growing through this um, COVID period. So we do see some significant infrastructure spend um, coming up. So um, in that regard, our infrastructure side of the business, we do see that, um, um, yeah, there's some good opportunities coming up into the future. And what's happening in the mining and oil and gas sectors generally? I mean, what are you, what are you starting yeah. to see there with, uh, uh, you know, is there an uplift in activity? Definitely. Um, definitely mining. Um, the iron ore price, for example, has really held up strong the last 12 months. Brazil had a lot of issues with COVID. Um, yeah, um, so the major, oil and, uh, major iron ore producer over there, Vale, has had a lot of issues operational issues um, because of lockdowns and um, social distancing and, and such like. So um, as a result of that, um, supply has been um, short out of Brazil. So, um, but WA hasn't been impacted. As we know, the WA borders were locked hard um, there for a long while. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that was predominantly to protect the economy over there because it's very strong. The, mining, the, the iron ore price has held up 
um, you know, very well in the last 12 months. So BHP, Rio, Fortescue Metals are going, you know, producing as much as they can, much tonnage as they can. Um, so we see there's a lot of activity um, at the moment ensuring that those operations can be maintained at that level. And there's um, no single point of failure in, in a lot of their assets. Um, so a lot of work in WA and we've seen a lot of growth in the last 12 months off the back of that. Oil and gas, mm. um, not so much, not the, not the same. So you might um, remember the oil and gas price really declined significantly 12 months ago just because demand fell off a cliff. People mm. weren't driving. Um, they were isolating at home. Um, international travel, mm-hmm. travel full stop, stopped. So the demand side fell off a cliff. So pricing declined rapidly and significantly. And the oil and gas producers, they, they just manage their cash flows. So they try and stay cash flow positive through downturns like that. So the only way they really manage to do that is to really pull back on their capex. And once they put, when they pull back on their capex, obviously um, that means that um, they're not building infrastructure, which is what we do. We design the infrastructure. So we've seen a, a decline in a little kind and work from the oil and gas side of our business, but it's very cyclical. So because there's been less spend, as soon as the oil and gas price goes back up again, and it's back up at 70 US a barrel now, roughly, we'll see the money being spent again, and they'll be in catch-up mode. Um, that's that's the cyclical nature of, of uh, the oil and gas industry. So we do actually see that um, some good opportunities um, starting to emerge. And just back to JobKeeper, I'm mindful of this because, you know, it's, it's March now and, um, you know, JobKeeper's coming to an end. What do you think the implications will be for your business for, um, you know, the cessation of JobKeeper? How do you think that's going to affect the trading business? How do you think it's going to affect your business as a big employer? I don't think in a material way. I think JobKeeper's really designed to prop up, you know, maybe the... Um, uh, a travel and tourism sector, um, hospitality sectors. Mm. Um, our training business, even our training business, is with tier one clients training the operators of some of those mining and oil and gas assets. So uh, I don't see a material impact in the next couple of weeks, uh, Nigel, off the back of yeah. keeper finishing up. Well, let's talk about uh, some of the acquisitions. So I guess um, site skills training. This looks like a really good deal to me, given it's going to contribute about $2 million in EBITDA, which is, from what I understand, roughly the cash cost um, to acquire it. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about the um, site acquisition and, you know, how it came about and how you think it's going to work strategically? Yeah, so I'll talk to the strategy first. So our strategy is to bolster some of our current business units and current service lines. So, you know, as I said earlier, we're about $110 million, $120 million revenue business. Uh, We're bound to have some subscale business units. And by subscale, I mean, they don't have the breadth of the capability or the service offering to really service our clients as well as we'd like to. And they don't have the uh, scale to cover some of the fixed overheads. So, you know, the, the economies of scale aren't there or the, or the efficiencies aren't there. So that's our focus in terms of growing forward um, is to bolster some of those um, existing business units through some M&A. And 
and the site one um, is bolstering our competency training business unit. So it'll actually triple the size of our training business. So historically, we've been doing roughly six million per annum in revenue. We'll get an additional twelve million off the back of the site transaction. So it'll take it to eighteen million, and as you said earlier, an additional two million in EBITDA over and above the current one million um, that competency training um, derives. So it's a material transaction if you look at it just from our training business perspective. Um, how, mm. how it come about, um, and then I'll get a little bit, I'll go on to what site actually does versus what CT does. How it came about is that mm. it we identified that site, well, perhaps we need to do something and it goes to why it's an asset sale and not a we're not buying the the shares in the business we're actually buying yeah. the assets they do have an ongoing legal matter with the regulator with asqua um and there's a there was a possibility um that they might lose their rto designation um which is their registered training organized designation so that would fundamentally um uh, mm. basically kill their business overnight so um we identified that as an opportunity. So we engaged with them and yeah, um, yeah, they needed to do something. Um, we're a logical acquirer of the business um, and that's why we structured it as an asset sale. So, um, and, mm. and, and you know, we think we got it at a, at a pretty good price as well. As you say, it was about um, one times the, ca the upfront cash cost. Yeah, there's a couple of earnouts in FY22 and FY23, but upfront we're paying 1.94 million and get two million in EBITDA on a full year basis. Um, so what site does? Mm. It's very complementary to CT. It actually, they service the mining and oil and gas industry as well, which is where we focus. Um, but it provides a bit more general training. So working from heights, working in confined spaces, mobile plant operating, um, uh, training um, some of the gas operators. So it's a bit more generalist than our specialist CT uh, training business. So, uh, but but there's a lot of synergies in merging and bringing together the back office functions. And that's mm. that's where the savings will be made. Well, look, it was um, you know it, it, on paper it looks like a great acquisition. You've got a lot of experience in putting these things together because this is not the only acquisition you've done. You've only just completed another one um, in December. You want to talk talk about that? Yeah, well, obviously the old merger and acquisition of Logicans by OSD was one as well um, 20 months ago. So, yeah. yeah, we have got a bit of capability. But the one we did over um, over Christmas and New Year was EIM, so Energy Infrastructure Management, which is bolstering and some nice bolt-on into our asset services business, which is really operating and maintaining uh, critical infrastructure, which is the high pressure gas network uh, around Australia, particularly the East Coast. It's a um, significant interconnected uh, gas transmission grid now, all the way up and down the East Coast, critical infrastructure. So EIM mm. operates and maintains that infrastructure and, and OSD asset services business been doing exactly the same thing for many years. So um knew eim very well and i knew the people very well um as part of that transaction we, yeah we got some good people um eim was owned by agl and arrow 50 50 and as part of the transaction arrow agreed to extend um the o m operations and maintenance agreement on the arrow pipeline so we've got another three-year 
uh, contract operating and maintaining those pipelines. Um, plus, they also operate a pipeline for Ergon Energy and Alinta Energy in Queensland and do some ad hoc work for, for Santos and others. Um, we've got some really good systems out of EIM and we're merging the OSD um, contracts onto the EIM systems to integrate it. Um, we also got 3.2 million in franking credits and basically that's mm. what we paid for the business over and above over and above the working mm. capital. So we only paid 3.2 million if you net off the working capital. Yeah, I, you've, uh, you've you've done very well with these acquisitions, Linton. I think uh, you, you must be formidable in the negotiating stage of these. Um, look, your company's had some really great financial results, I think, even with the impact of COVID-19. Can you talk us through some of the headline numbers and, and also help us understand what's driving the performance? I mean, obviously, there's clearly a lot of activity in, in, in mining and, and, and the like, but... Just give us some insights into, you know, is it is it is it operational cost efficiencies that you're delivering, or is it just headline revenue flooding through the gates? Yeah, it's a bit of both. Um, we've been working on a few things. Obviously, um, we we're always um, cognizant we've got to continue to win work. So uh, we've invested more in our BD capability. Um, as I said earlier, there's a lot of opportunity coming out of WA. Um, and we actually changed out the management team in WA, and that that's borne a lot of really good fruit. So we've got a lot of new work coming out of WA off the back of a strong mining sector over there. So revenue's holding up pretty well in the mining, well, growing in the mining sector. Um, worked on some of our systems. So yeah, new project delivery system um, and also a new ERP system. So if you look at our financial results um, for the half year ending December uh, just gone versus the previous corresponding period 12 months ago, our gross profit increased 2.4% from 30.9% to 33.3%. So we're really working on our project delivery and improving our margins. Um, as I said earlier, we stripped out a lot of um, costs in turn with the merger of OSD and Logicams. And the other thing we've been done, which I've mentioned is that we went live with a new ERP system on the 4th of January, um, which will really bear some really good fruit. Um, and I'll see a good efficiency dividend coming out of that um, in terms of just one way of doing stuff. We, we did have multiple payroll systems and multiple finance systems. Now we've only got one system. So in terms of merging and integrating companies as we acquire them going forward, they'll come onto our our new ERP platform. No question about which platform they, we're going to run their business off of. Now we've only got one platform. It's mm. called Workday. So we've been working on both the revenue number and the and the um, and the the overhead cost structure, but also ways of running our projects better to improve our gross margin. So, so work on it all. Well, um, I just want to put you on the spot here about your dividends. Um, so, what's your um, What's your dividend policy at the moment? Well, yeah, we just um, we just announced to the market um, just the other week that we are basically reinstated our dividend policy, um, mm. really to signal to the to the investors and the market that we are cognizant that we should be paying a dividend and we will as soon as um, you know. I guess we see um, uh, a clear line of sight out of COVID and things are really, I guess, turned and we 
got a fair bit more confidence now than we had sort of six months ago in terms of where the business is headed through through the COVID period. Um, so as soon as we are able to, we will um, start to restore the dividends. What, one of the things we don't want to do is restore it and then put it into hiatus again. So we're cognizant that once we restore a dividend um, policy and, and uh, start paying dividends, we should continue to do so. But in general terms, mm-hmm. our dividend policy is is between 30 and 60% of NPAT. I know that's a that's a wide gap, but you know it depends on what M&A opportunities might be on the horizon, what other new projects you might want to invest a bit of cash in. So that, you know there's obviously things we might want to do in the business to continue to grow the business that might impact uh, which end of that 30 to 60% the dividend will actually fall in. Mm. Well, I think that's also interesting because it sort of signals the intention to continue doing um, M&A going forward. Um, if I can read the tea leaves that way. But I, I also think, you know, what you've done with the side skills by paying cash for it and a bit of bank debt for it, um, that made a lot of sense as well. Um, but it's very rare to see uh, an announcement about the intention to restore dividends um, come out the, from an ASX-listed company in this environment. So certainly, uh, you know, getting a, a bit of attention. So yeah. Um, well get, done with that. I guess the other thing is we've got a we've got a fair few franking credits now. We had a we had a couple of million even mm. before the transaction with EIM, and we got an additional three point two million um, with the EIM yeah. transaction. Um, so mm-hmm. you know, I guess we're also telling the market that there's a high chance it'll be a fully frank dividend given the significant franking credits we have. Beyond the dividend, what what metrics do you think investors should be paying? closer attention to when they're reading your announcements to get an idea of how you're traveling um well there's a few metrics so you know working hand working hand is always a number we put out um mm. but working hand is actually uh at a, at a point in time so it's at a particular date and working hand goes mm. up and down it, it can swing so if you win a 10 million dollar project for example the working hand is going to go up by 10 million dollars and that just might be the day after you cut off your working hand calculation. So it does swing, but we know it's a common KPI, for example, that companies in our sector and with a similar business model than, than that we have put out working hand. So focus on that. I guess focus on, um, you know, obviously our revenue and our, and our margins are performing, gives you a good signal about mm-hmm. whether we're under any pricing pressure, I guess, and um, whether we've got any uh, projects that might be poor performers. Um, mm-hmm. Probably also focus on our EBITDA um, numbers and our EBITDA absolute dollar number, but also the margin. Uh, a, a business like this is valued off of an EBITDA multiple. Um, and our cash generation probably is another one because these businesses, unless you're investing a bit in terms of some capex or some internal systems like a new ERP system we did, there should be a reasonably strong yeah. correlation um, between EBITDA and cash generation. It's a bit more muddied mm-hmm. now with ASX, uh, AASB 16, the new leasing standard, but there should yeah. be a reasonable correlation between EBITDA and, and cash flow from operations. So that's a key metric. Okay, that's great. Well, look, finally, can you tell us um, a little about what investors can expect to see in the coming months? Completion of the site. Uh, Transaction, so it hasn't closed yet. It's um, on track to close 
um, either side of Easter. We did say when we announced it at the back end of February, it'll be four to six weeks, so yeah, early April, and we're still on track to close at early April. So look forward to you know the uh, closing that, which would be fantastic. That's yeah. well underway. Um, any other announcements? You know, obviously, look, always keen to continue to look for other attractive M&A uh, opportunities in the in our space, as I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. But really, f- want to focus on integrating and and merging those two acquisitions, EIM and Site, and to make sure that we deliver on those uplifts and EBITDA that we um, expect to see. So, I guess really in the next three to four months, we're going to focus on that, just bolting these in and integrating them well into the existing business yeah that's funny but that's probably it for the near term i think nigel yeah that's uh, that's 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 more than enough well look i wish you all the very best with uh with the work in hand and you know it sounds like uh, things are going really strong over there and it's really pleasing to to hear so thank you yeah thanks for your time yeah thanks nigel it's exciting times for us so yeah, thanks a lot well, thanks to Linton Burns, Managing Director at Verbrek, for joining us for this edition of StockDoc. And you can stay in touch with us through our StockEd website. And if you haven't already done so, remember to subscribe to our twice-daily newsletter for ASX market coverage, company profiles and industry insights. This episode of the StockDoc podcast was sponsored by Barclay Pierce Capital, Australia's leading corporate advisory and equities trading firm. Barclay Pierce Capital provides specialised corporate advisory and equities trading services to privately owned businesses, small to medium-sized public and ASX-listed companies.